From KCRW, this is Greater LA. Hey there, I'm Steve Chiotakis with a show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. And right now, I'm standing streetside in Century City, actually just inside a parking lot at Rancho Park Golf Course. So it is tea time for the golfers here, but it is go time for us in just a moment because right now we are waiting on a Waymo. A Waymo that's gonna take me all around West LA. And just like an Uber, I summoned this car through an app and on my mobile phone, but this ride won't have anyone behind the wheel. So this is something new for all of us. It's completely self-driving. And here is our Waymo. We're getting into the Waymo right now. So here we are, the doors have unlocked. So you get into the car, nobody's in the driver's seat, and there's a screen in the back seat that says start ride. Hello from Waymo. As we get going, just give us one minute to cover a few riding tips. This experience may feel futuristic, but the need to buckle up is the same as always. So keep your seat. All right, here we go. We're pulling out of the golf course and we're turning left on Pico. And when I say we, I mean no one. No one is turning left on Pico. That's what's happening right now. Maybe you've seen these cars around LA. There are cameras mounted throughout the vehicle. There's a special laser sensor on the roof that spins as the car moves. It just swerved to miss a car that was about to turn left onto another street. So it is very intuitive. That's good. You know, Waymo began offering these free rides in Santa Monica in October. Now they're operating in Century City and you have to get on a wait list for an invitation code. Uh, for right now, Waymo's letting us take a ride in one of its cars so we can see firsthand just how well it handles the streets of LA. So far, so good. Um, and get an experience of this technology that soon might be everywhere. I mean, just think about it. You might see these driverless cars all over LA. And we have a special guest, by the way, that's gonna join us here in just a minute. Hey, hey, look, nobody's driving this car. <laughs> We're getting looks from people like, what? What's going on here? All right, we're pulling into the metro station here at Westwood. And Juan Matute, a researcher at the UCLA Institute of Transportation Studies, is about to get in. He's been tracking driverless vehicles for a while. Juan, welcome. Thank you. All right, so we're going to resume ride now by pushing the button. And here we go. Have you been in one of these? I've been in one a few times. You have? Yeah. And your initial thought? Uh, I have been impressed by how safe it feels. Just um, the, the driving is very smooth. The vehicles take probably the safest routes that I wouldn't take as a driver because they know... They want to uh, minimize the risk. They minimize the risk. They know the safest path between A and B, whereas uh, I don't necessarily know what the safest path would be. You know, when, when you look at safety and you said, I, I feel safe, right? You see what happened in Phoenix. You see what happened in San Francisco. And even in LA, we're having these conversations about whether it is absolutely safe. Right, and I think um, it, there's a trade-off between introducing a new technology in, a, in an industry where safety is important, in the transportation industry, safety is very important. There's a trade-off between introducing something and having it gain experience and having it actually be ready. This is and gonna so be I interesting more, right here. Juan, do you see this? We've got a uh, construction vehicle. Is that a backhoe? Yeah, that's, uh, or a front hoe. And it is, what will happen here? 
He's getting out of our way. Right. I mean, sometimes it's... <laughs> Look at the guy, the, the driver. He's like, he's like, what the heck's going on over there? There's nobody driving that car. So how, how to properly evaluate the safety of these vehicles, in my opinion, is how it reacts in situations like that, which are hard. It's hard for a driver to predict what to do there. Like, obviously, there's a... Uh, a construction vehicle at a, a construction truck site. that we just went around. Yeah. Um, but in that case, the vehicle approached cautiously, and only once the other uh, construction vehicle got out of the way did it proceed. Um, I was expecting us to wait there for a very long time in a game of chicken, uh, but uh, the construction vehicle got out of the way because this vehicle doesn't get impatient, <laughs> uh, and it will always uh, do whatever it perceives to be. Uh, safest or most appropriate. When you think about people who are driving, they can be distracted, they can become impatient, um, they can have a temper tantrum. This doesn't have temper tantrum. And this one's not looking at text messages or, you know, the latest, whatever, Instagram video. It's not distracted, it's not aggressive, it's just trying to process as much information as it can from what's around it and it's stored maps of what the city's like and where different traffic conditions are, where safe curbs are to pull over if it needs to in order to make the safest moves possible. It's hard to ask that much of a driver, especially when that driver would rather be on its phone, listening to a podcast or maybe even doing its makeup. How does this fit one into the into the transit puzzle of LA with Metro spending billions of dollars and, you know, establishing all these lines or at least finishing them up. We've got the Olympics coming in a few years. Like, like, is this going to be something that is a part of the transit infrastructure of Los Angeles? 50 plus years, the default has just been have your own car, get in it, go wherever. Don't really think about it. Uh, But the future is more multimodal, and this is one of the options that will fit into it. One of the things that I like about it is that it is a uh, driving option. It has the convenience uh, and comfort of driving, but it's also safer than uh, driving for people outside of the vehicle, usually, uh, because of how it senses um, and respects. We just had somebody uh, crossing in front of the vehicle at a stop sign. It let them cross. It didn't try to make a quick right so that it wouldn't have to wait. But I wanna, I wanna stop you there. You said this is safer for people outside the vehicle. Right. People, when they're driving, they tend to be more cautious around larger vehicles, trucks, uh, 18-wheelers, etc., than they are around cyclists and pedestrians just because of perceived threat. So much of driving happens, not consciously, but subconsciously. And so uh, people don't always give you know, cyclists, more vulnerable road users, the space and the courtesy that this vehicle will give them. Ten years from now, how many more of these do you think will be on the road, if you had to make a guess? I think it will be more, uh, what's going to be really interesting is right now the rides are free, and so the demand is high. Um, I think there will be, in ten years, as many as people are willing to pay per ride for. And so that could be 100,000 or more around Los Angeles County. It's Cars, vehicles. Ca- vehicles, yes. Clogging up the five or the 10 or the 15, whatever it is. I mean, let's think about that for a sec. Are we subtracting cars by adding these? Not really, right? You, if you think about how households in particular make decisions about the number of vehicles that they have, services like Uber and Lyft, um, ride hail, and um, availability of uh, short-term car rentals, so there's uh, get-around, zip car, others, 
investments in public transit and then investments in bicycle and walking infrastructure all provide alternatives to just driving everywhere all the time. So you could have households shedding cars in response to the availability and the reliability uh, and the comfort and safety of services like this. So you think people are going to go all in on this? Or is this something to really seriously think about and more delays? Well, there's potentially a very large amount of money to be made. And I think the best approach is to proceed cautiously and safely, give something that people want that meets their needs, but is much safer than the existing options. You're here. Please make sure it's clear before exiting. And here we are, Juan, for the drop-off. Juan Matute, researcher, transportation researcher over at UCLA. Juan, thanks for coming along for the ride with us. Thanks for having me. Bye. I'm going to unbuckle first. I got to unbuckle. There oh, go. yeah, you're stuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. Back now at KCRW Studios, it's Greater LA. I'm Steve Chiotakis. You just heard from Juan Matute inside the car, the UCLA researcher who's, who's pretty optimistic about the promise of driverless technology, but not everyone is. Self-driving cars have faced plenty of critical scrutiny, and that only got worse after an incident in San Francisco that involved another brand of automated car. Cruise is recalling its driverless robo-taxis as it faces an uphill battle to regain public trust. General Motors, which owns Cruise, says the recall comes after a crash that involved a cruise car dragging a pedestrian in San Francisco in October. Now that horrible event certainly got a lot of folks wondering if driverless technology is really ready for prime time. Peter Norton is a professor at the University of Virginia and a historian of transportation policy and infrastructure. He's one of the folks who's raised a lot of critical questions about driverless cars. Professor, welcome to you. Thank you. It's great to be here. We, we just took a ride in a Waymo. It got us where we wanted to go. Uh, it got us there safely. Driverless car companies actually claim their cars are safer than human drivers, or at least have the potential to be. Do you believe that? Well, you know, you could have a very safe car if it doesn't go. And I'm not just being flippant here because, of course, one way to make your company have a good safety record is to have the car be so cautious that it can't get you there in any reasonable amount of time because it's constantly braking and, and going very slowly. So uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a trick question, I would say. And we noticed that in the Waymo, that it, that it took maybe a longer route or it, it, it took a safer route or it did make a lot of stops. But it also, in the ride, veered when a door opened on a parallel parked car or there was a bicyclist or a pedestrian walking. It was, it was very attentive to those things. Yeah, uh, it, the people who operate these, the companies, have a very tough dilemma. And so far, I don't think it's a dilemma they can solve, which is 
either it's going to be as cautious as you experienced and therefore not give you the kind of ride you would want to get if you had a Uber or something like that. Uh, on the other hand, if they make the vehicle compete with a human-driven vehicle in terms of its speed and convenience, then it's going to be much more dangerous than a human-driven car because the tech just can't match the skill of a human driver. What kind of proof do you have of that? Is that just anecdotal evidence, or are there studies, research that's been done that proves that? There is a lot of research. Now, uh, we are in some degree uh, limited by the fact that a lot of the data we need to really have the kind of evaluation you're talking about is not publicly available. But we do have enough data to know, uh, for example, that when there have been uh, self-driven vehicles that were convenient enough and fast enough to be attractive to riders, that they've taken chances. Uh, it was a uh, driverless Uber that killed a pedestrian in Phoenix, Arizona in 2018. And we know that that vehicle was detecting the pedestrian that it struck about six seconds before it struck her. Uh, and that the reason it didn't apply the brakes is that Uber was concerned that a vehicle that was cautious enough to brake any time there was a chance that it was heading up toward a person would be a vehicle that was so cautious it just wouldn't be worth uh, paying for. And then we've more recently seen the other extreme taken, uh, where Cruise and Waymo vehicles, in an attempt to avoid that kind of public relations disaster, are, are driving very slowly and very cautiously and sometimes, in fact, just sort of freezing in place because uh, it can't interpret scenes that it hasn't been trained on. Uh, and humans are different in that respect. We can sort of interpret a scene we've never seen before by applying the experience we've had uh, from driving over the years. Uh, but that, that requires a kind of inference-making, a kind of extrapolation, a kind of generalizing that uh, a robotic car just can't match. Do you, do you think a robotic car, the technology driving that robotic car, will ever catch up? Do you think there is a chance or there is that technology that will, will equal the human response time? Certainly that possibility is there. My concern is that in pursuing that long shot at the expense of a lot of money and a lot of time and also some real-world experimentation on public streets with public citizens as part of the experimental test rig, so to speak, that we're pursuing, you know, sort of going the wrong direction. We're pursuing a far-fetched goal that's very expensive to pursue and even at, in the best-case scenario doesn't actually yield very much relative to what you can get in a human-driven taxi or Uber or Lyft. You're in Charlottesville, Virginia, University town, obviously. L.A. here is much bigger, built around cars, and there's a big first-mile, last-mile problem when it comes to the transit stops and the bus stops and everything else, getting, getting people from where the transit goes to their ultimate destination. And I wonder, you know, couldn't driverless cars be a good part of a solution to that problem? Conceivably, yes, but Something on the order of one to two hundred billion dollars has already been spent developing these robotic cars. And I think it's fair at this point to ask 
uh, shouldn't we expect them to be working well? And by well, I mean as as good as a human-driven Uber, taxi, or Lyft. Uh, shouldn't we expect that from them by now? If not, is it time to recognize that uh, this has been a misguided errand from the beginning? And to your point, yeah, an Uber, a taxi, a, a Lyft can be a great way to make your public transit work a little more practically because of that last mile problem. But, you know, whether making that vehicle, that uh, taxi, a robo-taxi, gives us anything any better than the status quo is far from clear. And in fact, we could have the public transportation system and service improve if we sent more of our resources in that direction. You know, I wonder if you, if you look at all of this, your reluctance, of course, noted, do you think this is, this is going to happen, whether you like it or not? Um, of course, I don't know. My guess is that it will never happen if by happen we mean that these companies can actually operate as companies are supposed to operate, making a profit off of these services, making them sort of paying free market business enterprises. The reason why they appear to work to some degree right now is that the companies engaged in these enterprises are willing to lose a lot of money whether a system works it's, it is not just, you know, can it work at unlimited cost? I think the, the better question is, can it be cost effective? And if I had to predict, I would say, no, we will never have cost effective robo-taxi services. Peter Norton, professor and historian of transportation and urban mobility at the University of Virginia. Professor, thanks for coming on and talking with us. We appreciate it. Hey, it's been my pleasure. All right. Aside from all the double takes and the curiosity that a lot of folks have about this technology, let's get some answers to questions and concerns we have and that we've gotten from the driverless ride firm that we actually used, Waymo. Ellie Casson is head of city policy and government affairs for Waymo. Ellie, welcome to you. Thank you. Very good to be here. You're an Angelino. I mean, you know how crazy traffic is here. And we just heard from Peter Norton, who said robo-taxis are going to add a lot to that congestion. We're not we're not taking cars off the road. We're actually adding cars to it. What do you say to that? Uh, well, I say that for Waymo, we have a very strong incentive to make sure we are not adding to congestion. The more congested that streets are, uh, the slower and harder it is for us to serve passengers. Um, and we, unlike um, traditional ride hailing, are a fleet, and so we we centrally manage all of the cars in our fleet, and we do that for safety reasons, um, for cleanliness reasons, for many reasons. But one of the benefits is that we can also be really thoughtful in how we dispatch those cars. And we have a financial incentive ourselves to make sure they're not driving around empty, not serving a passenger, adding to traffic congestion. So it's, it is in our best interest, and I believe the best interest of um, people on the road everywhere, uh, that we be really efficient and not contributing to traffic congestion. That's what we're seeing so far, and that's what we expect as we scale. I know the city of L.A.'s mayor, Karen Bass, has expressed concern that they're mm -hmm. safe. What's been your experience with dealing with the city of L.A.? I would say, you know, we hear them loud and clear. They have a lot of questions. I think there's some a need for basic education uh, that we're doing one of their top concerns that we hear again and again is, are you working with our first responders, fire, police? And the answer is yes. Um, doing a lot of work to train and listen to 
Los Angeles uh, County, city, the region's uh, first responders, because we know that that's essential for our tech to be safely rolled out and accepted here in L.A. Um, I think the other thing that we hear from Mayor Bass, from other council members, is that it's challenging for, for cities to be the place where this technology is actually being deployed. But local government doesn't have as much control as they would like. And, and we understand that. The, the AV industry is regulated primarily at the state level, um, with the exception of a few areas. And so what we have really been trying to do is, despite not necessarily uh, being regulated at the local level, making local engagement a priority. There was, there was, a, there was a bad incident in, in San Francisco that involved, I believe, a, a pedestrian. I mean, how safe are these driverless cars right now? Are Waymo's already safer, do you think, than human drivers? We have a super robust safety research team that has looked at all of our real-world uh, rider-only, meaning no human behind the wheel, uh, driving that's happened. Because at this point, we have done, let's see, millions uh, of miles of rider-only driving. And we analyzed the first 1 million of those fully autonomous miles. This is just one thing I can share uh, of many. But we reported no injuries, no collisions at intersections uh, involving pedestrians or cyclists. Uh, I just want to really call out how important that is, especially in a city like L.A., where if you look at uh, the crashes that happen on L.A. streets, last year about 200 people were, were killed in crashes, and half of those deaths involved a, a vulnerable road user like a pedestrian, a cyclist, a motorcyclist. But, but there are folks, I, I know we, we talked to a researcher at RAND who says the research on, on safety is, is still incomplete. I mean, you can talk about miles millions of miles and things like that, but there's really no way, this is what they're saying, there's really no way to tell at this point how safe these these driverless vehicles are. I hear that. I think that there's a need for ongoing research. You know, this is an evolving space. Um, but I also think we shouldn't discredit the research that has been done. So we've done over 5 million rider-only miles. Um, I can uh, call out a number of uh, the ongoing or completed safety research that papers that we have done, we've done about 20 of them, um, and they go into great detail on this topic, does not mean that that's sufficient. Look, I know that this is a new and emerging space. I think that most people acknowledge that human drivers are, are problematic. We get distracted. We get drowsy. Every year, tens of thousands of people die in crashes that are the result of human error. Um, but for some reason, I mean, I think it's because we've been living with, with human-driven automobiles for 100 years, there's a much higher tolerance for that. And we uh, in the AV industry have a great responsibility to um, take our rollout very cautiously because we know that people have a lot of questions, they're concerned. So even though our, our research is showing that we are already safer than human drivers, we need to earn public trust. Is, is there a timeline for, I know you, you started in Santa Monica, you're in Century City now, you're doing neighborhood by neighborhood, you know, sort of an introduction to the community, if you will. When, when will there be a paid service launched across the city so you can just, you know, hail a ride and, and be on your way? We are able right now under state regulations to offer 
um, unpaid rides to the the people of LA, um, and we hope that's part of the the, the ramp towards um, actually uh, launching our paid commercial ride hailing service in the greater LA region once we get that final authority from the state. Ellie Casson, head of city policy and government affairs over at Waymo. Ellie, thanks for coming on and answering some questions and concerns. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you for giving us the opportunity. That's going to do it for us this evening on our driverless car journey. Hope you enjoyed it. Coming up in just a moment, it's more AI on Today Explained. The European Union has advanced first-of-its-kind regulation of artificial intelligence. Will it make a difference there? Tomorrow on GLA, a developer who's using state money here in California has left behind a trail of unfinished projects. A lot of financial mess, too. You're going to hear about that tomorrow on Greater LA. Join us online anytime at our website, kcrw.com slash GLA. Share a story idea. Share your thoughts with us. Grab the podcast, too, so you can take the show on the go. kcrw.com slash GLA. Juliana Mayo, Zoe Matthew, Kelsey Gante, Eddie Sun, Sue Margulies, Phil Richards, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Michael Vogel, and Christian Bordall all helped run this evening's episode. I'm Steve Chiathakis. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention and that ear. Have a great night.